All right, why don't you stand up one more time before you go to sleep? We started last week on This Is Our Time, and I believe that, that we get a window of time to do what God has called us to do. And we, and we talked last week about Esther and that, and that purpose or promotion has a purpose. And we have a window of time to act on that. And, um, and so I want to continue in that idea today. And we're going to read from, from Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 22, that I'm going to skip down a little bit. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for the act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Somebody said there's hope for people like us. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer anymore in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And then skip down to verse 29. Peter and, and the group of disciples are praying. And, and this was part of their prayer after they were released. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. Let it change us today. How we think how we act. Lord, let it, let it create a different future for us than what it looks like now. Put a destiny in front of us, Lord, of hope and the advancement of the gospel, Lord. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Turn around and tell somebody I hate playing defense. Hate playing defense. Hey, listen, next week is going to be an important week. Um, make sure you're here that December 18th. Um, I'm going to be laying out some of the things that I believe God is leading us to in the future of Hedgesville Church and what it's going to look like. And, and so these sermons leading up to that are, are, are part of that, creating the, uh, the foundation and the, 
um, the ideal that we're going to be moving forward. Amen? That God has not called us to be stagnant, but he's called us to reach the world. And that we have the capability, uh, according to the power that has worked within us, and that's the Holy Spirit, to move forward and to reach more and more people than we ever dreamed we could. Uh, but he has called us to that great work, and we're going to heed his calling. Amen? And so we're looking forward to it. So don't miss. Bring somebody with you next week, uh, December 18th, and we'll dig into this together. Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter has played soccer since she was four, four or five years old. You know how, like, if any of you guys had kids in Mighty Mites, um, I'm, you know, I'm the dad sitting over on the side going, when are they going to keep score? Because this doesn't seem, seems a little pointless. I mean, my kid's scoring and they're not counting it. So I'm a little bit competitive. My wife is not competitive at all. Uh, so that gave us a good match because she, w- you know, I would have the tendency to be like, what are you doing? And she's like, hey, settle down. You can't yell. And you go through the, through the uh, non-competitive conditioning classes as a parent all through rec league sports where they tell you you're not allowed to yell on the sideline. I'm like, I don't understand. In other countries, they're killing each other over this stuff. We can't even yell. Um, so anyway. Uh, she, this will be, I don't know, she's turning 18 in February, so she's been playing soccer consistently for a long time, some years never taking a break, playing spring, fall, uh, spring through the summer, then fall into winter, playing indoor soccer, then starting over in the spring, just a continuous cycle of soccer. And so I know just a teeny bit about the game. I know I don't like offsides. Any of you that are soccer fans, I think it should be like basketball. If you want to leave a person down by the goal to cherry pick, you should do it. Soccer that scores would then be like 15 to 20. And it would be a lot more interesting and Americans would then gamble on it. So it would be great. It's like three to two. That was an exciting game. Well, there was five exciting moments in the whole two hours. But what I figured out uh, in the years that I've been a part of my daughter playing soccer is there are some coaches that love playing defense and they made me crazy and I'll explain it to you like this like like they would uh, there was certain times in a game you know there's four minutes left and you're down by two and it's like you pull everybody back to play defense because you don't want to get beat by three and me and a couple other dads would claw our faces off trying to figure out why you didn't send everyone forward. It's at the end of the game. My philosophy is if you come in second, you're the first loser. Right? It's like, hey, Dad, I got second. <laughs> well, you'll try harder next time, I guess. I just, I just don't understand when you're losing playing defense. I don't understand that. I don't understand in the game of soccer, if you're losing by two, what's it matter if you lose by 10? So if you play defense to not lose by four, then you still lost. You're not advancing. You're still in the losing column. So we would sit on the sidelines and be like, send them all. <laughs> and then we, the game would be over and be like, well, we, it was a tough team. We only lost by two. That's because you didn't even try to win. And I remember being in tournaments where, where they would play pretty much 10 people on defense and, and put one girl forward. 
because they went into it knowing they were going to get beat. And they would think, well, if we just, if we can only get beat by three or four, then it'll look better because we're kind of on this big level now. And if we only get beat by three or four, it'll look a lot better. And I'm thinking, but you still lost. And the irritating thing for me is you didn't try to win. And, and I believe that at the end of the day, if you're, if you're bleeding out of your body, laying on the field, and, and you lost, but you, you're looking up with that last breath, you look up at the coach and you go, I tried to score right at the end. <laughs> then I'm, I'm good with that effort. You know, in the church, I think too often times we back all 11 players up and we stand in front of the goal and hope the devil doesn't score against us. I think that's the way we live a lot of times. But here's what I found out about soccer. If you let the other team, I don't care if you put 20 people in front of the goal. If you let the other team kick it around in front of your goal long enough, they're going to score. They're going to score. And so what happens is as as the gospel is supposed to be advancing and aggressive and going forward, we've backed the church up against the goal. And, and we've said, well, if we line up and, and we try not to sin and we do all these things over here, then maybe, maybe just maybe the devil won't score against us. And, and I want to tell you something. He's got a really strong right foot and he has been blasting things at us for centuries. Since the beginning of time. I believe I read in the Bible, Bible a church that is on offense, that, that we don't stand. Yeah, we've got a goalie, but we don't need him. You ever been to a soccer game where you didn't need the goalie? My daughter played on one soccer team that I think they won by an average of five or six points a game. Those were the fun years. <laughs> I remember one year, uh, I remember one game that we played, I think it was in Hagerstown, and, and we were playing, and, and he pulled, like, it was so bad that they started pulling players off the field. They pulled the goalie out. I think we were playing, like, 6 on 11, and their coach said, don't even dribble it past half field. And the other coach was like, oh, come on, please. It was, it was that, they were so, they were beating them by so much that we just started pulling players off the field. It was that bad. And I was on the sidelines going, this is the way every game should go, kids. Every game. Win by so much the other team wants to quit. Demoralize them. <laughs> Whoever come up with running up the score is bad. Whoever said that? The losers. <laughs> That's exactly right. The people losing said that. No, it's called practice if you're winning by that much, right? So... I started looking at this. I believe the gospel is an aggressive thing. That Jesus didn't say, stay in Jerusalem and wait till everybody comes to you. He didn't say, stay in Jerusalem. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. Stay in Jerusalem and I'll just bring the whole world to you and you can stand in front of your goal and make sure nobody scores and just play defense the whole time. You don't really have to be very aggressive in this because I'll just send the world to you and you can just tell them the story. And no, he said, you're going to have to go. Didn't he? He didn't say stay, stay where you're at and just, just, you know, try to do the right thing and I'll send people to you to make disciples. He said, no, go into all the world and make disciples. That's an aggressiveness that, that has to go forward. 
not backwards. And all through scripture, you read, you read that. You read this aggressiveness. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He said, come on, we're going to fight this thing. We're going to put on armor. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Revelation 12.11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Even when death was in their face, they advanced the gospel. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom maybe will be preached in the whole world. It might happen. No, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. As a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. There's an aggressiveness to the gospel. An inherent aggressiveness. That is to go into all the world. With the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. And win people. And make disciples. And I believe. A church that understands that. Will have all that they need. All the power that they need every resource that they need and all the energy they need to move forward in that calling. Amen? But here's what happens. It's hard to get people to play for a team that only plays defense. Did you hear that? Would you want to sign up? Hey, listen, our strategy is we're going to line you up in front of the goal and we're just going to let them kick it at you. Nobody's signing up for that. Like, yeah, I want to be a human pinata. On the soccer field. Nobody is signing up for that. But if you look at a kid and you say, hey, listen, I'm telling you right now, I'll get you 30 kicks on the, on the, on the goal every game. What kid wouldn't want to do that? I, I, we'll, our team will get you in a position to be able to score over and over. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to take them out. There's no mercy. We're going to run the score up on them. We're going to win, win, win. Come on, right? That's the ones the dads can get excited about. You know what, if you're winning, there's a lot less complaining. Isn't there? If you're winning, there's a lot less complaining. Some of you are coaches, and you know what I'm talking about. When you're winning, nobody's going, oh, coach, I don't like the way you won that game. (laughs) But if you're losing, they'll come up to you nonstop. Listen to this. The team that can't score tells everyone to play defense. I've seen that over the years. Well, we know we're not going to be able to score here, so we'll we'll just tell everybody to play defense. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could try not to sin. You know what happens? When When the church stops talking about the gospel going forward, what we start concentrating on is legalism. Have you ever been a part of something like that? Okay, how are we going to get the gospel to go forward? Come on, we got to be aggressive. So if the gospel is going forward, I really don't care as much about what you wear. I've had people come to this church before and, and look me right in the eye and say, I haven't been to church in 20 years because the last time I went, somebody said, somebody said the clothes I had on wasn't appropriate. And I thought, well, they probably weren't advancing the gospel very much because I'm so... I want to be so focused on the gospel. Now, please, wear clothes to church, for heaven's sake. I'm not saying that. Some of you are elbowing your, did you hear what he said? 
I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I don't care if you wear jeans and a t-shirt because I think the gospel's got to go for it. I don't have time to critique what you're wearing. Well, did you hear where so-and-so went yesterday? Yes, but I hope the gospel was going with them because this is an aggressive gospel. So when we don't advance the ball, we start concentrating on what everybody else is doing. Instead of advancing the ball and passing to the next player, what we do is we start concentrating on how the other player's not doing their job. You ever been on a team like that? Everybody's just yelling at each other. And we're not scoring because we can't, because we're so focused on, whoa, look at what sister so-and-so did, brother so-and-so. By the way, we usually don't use those brother and sister terms. Maybe we will in heaven, but it gets things confused here. We're in West Virginia. Everybody's like, I knew it. They're all related. I knew it. All the visitors are like, I knew they were all related somehow. Now, if you're on this side of the interstate, you probably are. Never mind. (laughs) Going to Back Creek Valley. I'm like, holy cow. Stories are true. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could try not to sin. I think there are people stuck in sin cycles because they don't know how to play offense. Did you hear that? People get stuck in cycles of sin and that's all they think about. How do I stop? I can't stop. I can't stop. I can't stop. Because it's never crossed their mind that Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive you of your sin, and you're forgiven of your sin to play offense, not just stand in front of the goal and let the devil kick your brains out. And so what happens is, if Satan can keep us consumed with hoping we aren't going to be tempted anymore, if he can keep us consumed and worried about the next sin that's going to come along, then we will cease to advance the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be concerned about your sin. You should deal with it today. But what happens is, is because all we do is sit around and think about that. Like, I don't want to sit anymore. I don't want to sit anymore. And Jesus is saying, I didn't save you to sit around and think about your next sin. I saved you to give you peace and grace in your sinful body to advance the gospel. So, so aggressive, aggressiveness towards the gospel helps us. Do you understand that? But Satan has convinced us, well, I can't. I messed up again this week. God can't use me. I, I, I messed up again this week. He can't, I, can't, I can't say anything about how good Jesus is. To, I, how about I messed up again this week and the grace of God covered that sin. And so I need to tell somebody that I messed up this week and the grace of God covered that sin. He could do the same thing as you. Because most people that you meet are in that cycle. Amen? And if Satan can keep you consumed by that, then you will keep your mouth shut. He's tricked us into playing defense all the time. And I believe we should be aggressive towards our sin. Amen? We pray the Lord delivers us and then we change nothing. You know the you're going to learn a lot about what I think about soccer. I've never been a coach, so I can say this. 
I've never actually put any of it into practice. But, but one of the things that I dislike about soccer sometimes is that coaches can get stuck in their formations. Anybody? Like, they're just stuck. Like, I don't sub in till the second half. Well, you're getting killed, dude. You better start subbing now. You know, I'm, I'm the parent on the sideline saying, take her out. She's awful. I might be talking about my kid at certain times. But I'm just like, I don't understand. We're losing. Change something. Did you hear me? We're losing. Change something. And in a, in a lot of soccer games you watch, it doesn't matter. You could be down two or three to nothing in, in the first half. Like, well, this is our strategy. We're sick with our strategy. And I'm going, the strategy's not working. I'm not a pro, but we're losing. And I believe that in our, in our lives, as far as sin, we operate the same way. We'll come to church and we'll throw our hands up and we'll like, God, forgive me. Help me out. Help me out. And then we'll, our strategy stays the same. And God's going, that strategy is what got you into this place to start with. So now I need you to do something different. I need you to be aggressive towards your sin. Right? Doesn't the Bible say stuff like resist the devil and he'll flee from you? Resistance doesn't look like this. Oh, don't hit me again. Resistance looks like this. Come on. Right? You, many of you saw the video with the guy punching the kangaroo. I don't even know if that was legal. And he didn't say, oh, let my dog loose. He went, all right. I thought, this looks like he's fighting a human. Put his hands up. Said, the strategy's changing now. That's my dog. Right? <laughs> It's 2016. You have no idea what you're going to see on the internet. <laughs> 30 years ago, they're like, somebody punched a kangaroo in the face. <laughs> How about this? We pray the Lord provides, and then we never, never change our strategies. We want him to provide for our, for our misuse of what he's given us. We want him to provide in spite of of our failing financial strategies, don't we? Lord, I don't want to change a strategy. I just want you to give me more. And God says a lot of times, listen, the strategy you're using is losing for you. You need to be aggressive with this thing. With this thing called sin, we need to be aggressive. Paul says this, uh, pastor talked about this uh, um, a few months ago, and then, and then uh, Pastor Ken talked about it a couple weeks ago in November. Therefore, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 26 through 27. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight, fight like a boxer beating the air. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. He says, this thing's going to do what I tell it to do. He didn't say, I lay down and hope I get better. He said, I battle this flesh all the time. It's something I wake up every morning having to control, and God has given me the ability to do it. And so he said, just like a trainer, I'm going to take control over this thing. My strategy is going to be different, he says. He says this, I, I, take a, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, listen to this, after I've preached to others, I myself might not be will not be disqualified for the prize. He's on offense with his sin. I believe that's important in the church. I think if we're all moving, like, hey, hey, and let me say this. 
Bible says to confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Do you know why that's so important? I have to do this uh, all the time. I, I don't have a massive anger issue, but I'm like a lot of you. It's in there. Well, you're not laughing. You're like, all oh, the pastor's angry now. <laughs> it's in there, right? And so, you know, like 1030 at night when my, it's not going the way I want to at the house, I'm losing. My strategy is to not lose. So I'm like, everybody go to bed. It doesn't sound like that, does it? You're supposed to shake your head like this. Left and right, left and right, not north and south, left and right. So here's what I'll do. I feel guilty about it almost instantly. And I think, Chris, man, you did it again. You got great kids, great wife. You got upset because they were talking during your TV show last night. And I, I can almost tell instantly with me. Now, there's a period between awareness and action, isn't there? So it's up to you how long that period lasts. And so I realize what I have to do is I have to go to my kids and confess my sin to them. And I don't try to act like it was their fault. If you'd have just shut your mouth during a TV show, I wouldn't have had to say anything. <laughs> Come on, you've used that strategy before, right? It's your fault that I sinned. <laughs> and I say, listen, I shouldn't have got upset with you. That was, that was on me. It was silly. And what I'm doing is I'm presenting a different strategy to my kids. And I'm, not, I'm saying, your dad realizes what he did was wrong, and I'm changing my strategy now because if I stay in that strategy, I'm losing. And so I refuse to lose in this deal, so I'm going to be aggressive with the gospel. So Paul says, I'm going to make this flesh do what I tell it to do, so that once I preach, I won't be disqualified. So that once I preach, I could go home to my kids, and they'll say, hey, yeah, dad said that this morning, but I don't see it. So I'm like, hey, I got I to gotta make sure. And, and the key is, is that, that distance between awareness and action has to, has to be smaller and smaller and smaller the closer you walk with Christ, all right? All right, we got to hurry up because I don't even know what happened. I'm not even in my sermon yet. Okay, so the team that can't score tells everybody to play defense. Then we start focusing on each other and becoming legalistic and all these things. And we really need to be aggressive towards our sin. The church needs to look at people who are caught in sin cycles and say, through the grace of God and the power of God, you can beat this, but here's a strategy you need to use. If you have a problem with drinking, don't think you can go into the bar still. Right? If you have a problem with certain things, Paul lays it out like, like, let's resist the devil for a change. Let's start to throw punches at him. All right, devil, this is where you tempt me. I'm not going back. This is where you tempt me. I'm not watching that anymore. This is where you tempt me. I, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm in control now. I'm throwing the punches. Right? Amen? Because in order for the gospel to go forward, that's the baseline. That's what we got to get right. If not, we're just a church walking around the same area over and over again. Go, man, I wish we could get better. So watch this. 
Offense is a different formation. So I need to, I need to remind you of what we read at the beginning. Because what happens is, is the Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. And if, and if you haven't read that yet, the, the, the disciples were playing defense. Once they realized Jesus had been crucified and that there was nothing they could do about it, the Bible says they were locking themselves in the room. In their room. They were just locking themselves out. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. The Jews are going to come after us or do the same thing. This is terrible. And Jesus was walking through locked doors to reveal himself to them. And they were, and they were scared to death. Peter had denied him three times. The other ones had run off. One of them run out of his clothes trying to get away. I mean, that's pretty serious when you run out of your clothes. You're like, I don't even need these things. I'm getting away. And they had all scattered. But there's something that happened in between there. Jesus had revealed himself to them, said, I'm going to empower you. And now we're operating at the beginning of Acts in a different paradigm. The disciples are not on defense anymore. Now they are playing offense. They're playing to win. They're playing aggressively. They're going after it. They're saying, we're tired of getting kicked around. There's a greater, there's a greater thing in us now than, than the one that's in the world, and we're going to run with it. And so, so they... Two of them show up at this gate. They call it the gate called Beautiful. And there's a man laid uh, lame since birth, the Bible says. And he's been laying there. He's 40 years old. And he's laying there begging. And when they walk up to him, he says, hey, you got any money? And they go, we don't have any money. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But what I have. He said, get ready. Now, he wasn't one of those modern-day evangelists. He didn't reach down and punch him in the face. He quit following those guys. He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. Some of you are like, what? I can't do that in Walmart. They did it in a public place. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you quickens our mortal bodies right and so they they reached down grabbed him by the hand and he stood up and then where we started reading was the devil trying to put them back on defense and all the jewish leaders at the time gathered around him and went hey you better cut that out i don't know how you did all that stuff but you're not gonna be running around healing people in jesus name that ain't the way we work around here so you're going to have to cut it out. And Peter looks at him and says, hey, I don't know whether it's good to obey you or God. You tell, well, he, said, he said, you tell me, is it better to obey you or God? What are they going to say? And so there's this conversation back and forth, and they're like, they don't know what to do now because there's a guy, everybody knew he couldn't walk before. Now he can walk on his own two feet. And there's two guys saying that Jesus did it. So the, the very people that were on defense two months ago are now healing people in public in the name of Jesus. That sounds like offense to me, doesn't it? It sounds like aggressive offense. And now the devil is going, okay, hold on a second. We're going to put them on defense. We're going to put them on defense. We're going to put them on defense. Watch this. The Bible says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so they heard that. And they decided the best way to do that was to take advantage of the opportunities that were provided in front of them, right? So watch this. If you're playing defense all the time, you won't have the right formation to score when you need to score. 
Because if you only got one forward going up, forget about it. They're not scoring. Well, the pastor can do it for us. That's why we hired him. Right? Now we're all running forward. Watch this. Opportunities will present themselves. Our formation will determine how we react to them. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him as John did. He said, look at me, right? Look straight at him. Now, let me say this. You know how many people walk by that guy? How many people believed in the one true living God walked straight by him every morning? Just walked straight by him. Peter looked straight at him as John did. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now watch this. Here's what it looks like today. The church is on defense. Can you help me, RJ, for a second? Yeah, come up here and sit with me. All right, here's what happens. RJ's crippled. You can tell. Look at him. So, so here's RJ crippled from birth, sitting at the gate. And I'm, I'm modern-day defensive Christian, right? So RJ's begging, and I say, RJ says, hey, man, you got any money? And this is what I start out with. Man, it's been so tough. Can you believe? I mean, I've just been suffering under this economy. I'm almost in your position, almost. And, um, and I don't know. I, I barely have enough to keep paying the mortgage on my two houses. I, I barely have enough to keep three cars in the driveway. I mean, I'm sure you understand. And um, kids go to private school. <laughs> wow, if my kids didn't go to private school, they'd end up like yours. And so that's, a, that's one of those things that God really wants me to keep doing. And I know that you are going without. But I think you make a pretty good living sitting here at this gate. At least that's what I've heard from my friends, that people panhandle make good living and they don't have to pay taxes. Is that true? So we play defense. Because here's a need, and we're protecting ours. Do you see that? Oh, watch this. I was just talking about money. RJ looks up at me and he says, um, man, can you see I can't walk? Because really, the problem was, is that his bigger problem was one that would provide for his lesser problem. Do you see that? His bigger problem was that he couldn't walk. The lesser problem was that he didn't have any money. Because if God would fix the fact that he couldn't walk, he could go make money. Somebody say amen. Right? Here's the issue. If... If you, we could get our relationship with God right and sin wasn't as much of an issue anymore, we could spread the gospel. So what happens is, is that we walk up to RJ 
And I, and, and RJ says, man, I'm crippled. I've been this way forever. I've never actually walked. And here's what we say. Man, I was in the hospital three times last year. You see, look at these scars I got. Look at that. And you think you got it bad. At least, at least you can move your arms. And we start to paint the, we're playing defense. We're protecting what we have in spite of what they need. And so we trade stories about how bad it is. Instead of saying, I don't have what you need, what you think you need. I have what you really need. Amen. Now listen, don't, don't get me wrong here. He still needed money to make it until he could make it on his own, right? So don't say, well, now I'm not giving to the master's clause now. Somebody needs to heal that guy so he can work for himself. That's not the message here. Don't get that wrong. Jesus said, whatever you've done the least of these you've done to me, give him a glass of water in my name. He said, keep doing for the poor. Keep helping people. Keep helping people. But if we're playing defense with the gospel, if we're playing defense just trying to protect ourselves, just trying to compare how miserable our lives are to the guy sitting at the gate, then we'll never advance. Then he'll still be sitting there. And the issue is, People that believed in God every day walked by him. They walked straight by him. Because their formation was wrong. It was, oh, your story's bad, listen to how bad my story is. Oh, you think your sin's bad, listen to how bad my sin is. Oh, you think your need is bad, listen to how bad my need is. Didn't we talk a couple weeks ago about the church in Macedonia who had Paul said, even out of their great need even out of their great poverty they gave over and above what anybody ever expected them to be able to do you know why because they didn't look at the church in jerusalem and go oh yeah you guys think you got it bad you should see how bad it is over here you think you think your church is bad you think your church is needy you should see how bad needy my church is no they didn't play that defense game they went on the offense and said listen there's brothers and sisters over there suffering and we can do something about it You know what the most amazing thing? Thanks, RJ. Look how good a job he did sitting there. (laughs) Listen, you know what the most amazing thing is? If I can get my head off of my problems, they seem to me not as big as what they were before. Because now I'm playing offense. Now there's hope. Now there's a chance of victory. Now, now, Now there's a chance of a win. Now there's a chance that we can move forward, right? Somebody said this, I'm not sure who it is, some of you sports fans will know, offense is the best defense. The Bible says, uh, there in Acts, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So you know, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that 3,000 men heard Peter's sermon right after they were filled with the Holy Spirit and accepted Christ. So now we're fast forwarding just a little bit. Now 5,000. I mean, this thing is going, man. How would you like a church to jump from 3,000 to 5,000 like in a, in, a, in, a, in a week? Some of you are like, I don't like big crowds. <laughs> Defense. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They, they had Peter and John brought them in, 
and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? We're not going to let you play offense here all the time. We're not going to let you. How are you doing this? We're going to start calling you on the carpet. Super encouraging right here. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now watch this, super important. Verse 14. It says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. You know what? The world is going to level all kinds of assaults against the church. The devil is. And you know when the church is in the worst shape? When there's no evidence standing beside them. Because we've been playing defense, and there's nothing to show for defense. We've, we've, if we play defense, it's just, it's, it stays a big fat goose egg. Okay, so, so the other team didn't score either. That's called a tie. And that's not going to win you any championships. Well, we tied in the championship. You need to quit that sport. Right? I didn't even realize that, well, this year there's been a couple ties in the NFL. I thought, when did the NFL turn into sissies? Who quits on a tie? But if we play, if we play defense, all we have is a big goose egg to show for it. But if the church goes on offense, what happens? When the accusations come, when they try to put us back on defense, when the devil starts hurling arrows at us, what happens? Because the guy that was lame is now not lame, there's nothing they could say. Are you kidding me? There's nothing they could say. You guys are so polite. Like, oh, again, I feel bad for the guy in the back clapping, so we'll just join in. Last, okay, they're still clapping, so I guess I'll come along. Come on, that should be an excitement. One of the things that I'm so excited about in this church is that there's real life change taking place. And so somebody could come in and say, well, I don't like the way you do that. And I could say, yep. I'm sorry you don't like the way we do that, but this guy was once an alcoholic and now he's not. This woman was once what she was and now she's not. This person was once this way and now they're not. So I don't know about the music. All I know is what's standing here. Amen? So they said, I don't know. I don't. You guys can't do this anymore. It's almost like the world wants people begging at the gate. Doesn't it seem like that? Well, as long as it, anyone else can do it but the church. I once had a person tell me one time, we were, we were helping out a homeless man. Long story, series of events, this guy finds us. We had actually met him before uh, in Front Royal, Virginia. And he finds us, and he ended up being a homeless guy that does a circuit around a couple states. And, and, and I was a youth pastor at the time, I just thought... I just felt like God wanted us to help him out. I didn't know where it was going to go. And so he, he stayed in the White House over here for a while and a couple of weeks. And we, we, back then we were doing the fireworks tent and, and he would come out and stay at the fireworks tent. Pastor Adam gave him like $200 in change he had laying in his car. I didn't know a car could carry $200 in change. <laughs> it's 
crazy. I'm like, how did you get that much change in your car? So um, just helping him out. Ran into, I ran into a lady. I'd done some work on her house. And, um, and I was telling her the story, and, and she was not from our persuasion. Let me just put it that way. You know what she said to me? She said, Chris, churches do a terrible job with the homeless. You should really just let the state take care of that. And I thought, lady, all I know is that two weeks ago he was living under a bridge, and now he's in a house. So if you're going to try to put me on defense, that's not going to work. Because the guy's eating every day. He's not living outside. He's got heat. He's got running water. He's got a toilet. He's got it because this church went out of their way to make this happen. He's got people to hang around every day. We gave him an Xbox. (laughs) Satan's going to try to put you on defense. Every minute of the day. And if the church doesn't have any evidence that what God is saying is real, then we're going to be apt to play defense. But when the guy's standing there that used to not be able to walk and now he can walk, then they go, well, don't do this anymore. And that's exactly what happened. The best way to silence the enemy is to provide indisputable evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And through us. You want to shut the devil up? Throw the temptation at me and watch me turn it around into a miracle. Come on. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. But with a demonstration of the spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom. But on God's power. You know what's missing? You know what's missing when we play defense? Powerful offense. And Paul said, I didn't come to you to play defense just to talk you into something. I came to demonstrate how powerful the Holy Spirit is at work within you and what he is capable of doing. And so that's how I came with a demonstration. It's like the guy at Sam's Club with the knives. If they're just on the shelf, you might not buy them. But you get that guy out slicing a tomato. (laughs) You're buying two sets. You're buying one for you and one for a Christmas gift, right? Look how sharp that thing is. Church needs to be about aggressive demonstration of the gospel. All right, watch this. Every stage of the game can be on offense. Come on, the band, come up. We're going to finish this in two minutes. Every stage of the game, you can be on offense. Do you hear me? Every stage of the game, you can be on offense. The stage of the game you're in right now, when you feel like the guy sitting at the gate, you can be on offense. When you've been being, when you're being accused, you can be on offense. When, when you're, when you're in a bad situation financially, you know what you can be? On offense. When you're sick, you know what you can be? On offense. Watch this. This was so encouraging to me. Because, because after they released them, they went back to their friends. And then they didn't say, oh my, we're so scared now, they're pulling us in and yelling at us. They didn't say that. They didn't come back and say, they're threatening us, we don't know what to do. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. Peter's praying, and this is his prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats. You heard what they said. You heard what they said. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal 
and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Some of you have been praying that God would empower you. That's a good prayer. That's a really good prayer. God, empower me. Do something through me, Lord. But the problem is you haven't moved away from the goal. You've been standing in front of the goal playing defense, but you're praying that that God would empower you to to let the devil kick you in the face. And I don't know about you, but the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, right? And so the thing is this, watch, watch this. It says after, while they were praying that the whole room shook. You know why I believe? Because God will always empower the advancement of the gospel. Come on, we read, we read earlier that this gospel would preach the whole world and then the end would come. The God, God's goal is that the whole world would hear the gospel. So what is he going to invest in, his power in? The gospel going forward. And so Peter and the rest of them were praying, Lord, you heard what they said. Now empower us to preach the word boldly and stretch out your hand to do miraculous signs and wonders in our midst because we know the gospel going forward leaves them nothing to say. And you know what happened? In that moment, it says the whole room started shaking and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe we can guarantee God showing up if we, will, if we will purpose in our hearts to consistently be on offense. If we will say, Lord, no matter what stage of life I'm in, no matter if my world is falling apart, they're going to have to drag me off the offense. I'm not going back in the goal and just huddle up and act like everything's going to be all fine while we're losing. I'm going forward. I'm going to get a yellow card. I'm going to their best player and I'm going to kick her legs out. What, you never had a coach like that? Why would we play defense in the moments where it matters the most? And the Bible gives us a beautiful example of people that decided in some tough times, we're going to play offense in spite of what they say, in spite of what they do. And you know what happened? God showed up, shook the room, and empowered them even more. You want God to shake your life? You want God, you want God to intervene in your life in a way you've never seen before? Make a commitment to go forward. Make a commitment to change, to change your, your, your strategy. Make a commitment. This morning, I'm not playing defense anymore. You gave me a sword. You gave me a shield. Those are offensive things. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. Listen, us taking hold of what God wants us to do, us taking hold of what he, the purpose he has for this church and this community and the communities around here and as far and wide as he will send us depends on us playing offense. It depends on us having this mentality. It depends on us, no matter what comes, to say this gospel will go forward in spite of what anybody else does. I'm committed to this. Amen? 
Come on, all around the building. Could you lift your hands, close your eyes? Could we pray that way today? Could you make, could you just make a confession of faith this morning and say, Lord, I am tired of playing offense. I want to be on the winning side. I want to be on, I'm tired of playing defense. I want to be on the offense, Lord. I want to be aggressive for your gospel. I want to be aggressive, Lord, for what you have for me. And I believe you will empower us today, Lord. We make that commitment to you. You will shake us, God. You'll shake our world. And you'll empower us to do everything that you've called us to do. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it. Now listen, some of you have never asked Christ to come into your heart. That's where you start playing offense. You have to be tired of the way the devil is kicking you around, of the way the devil is winning every day, of the way he's controlling you. And today is the day that all that can change, that it can stop today because the same power that raised Christ from the dead can dwell in you. And all you have to do is surrender your life to him, accept Christ and all that he's done for you and confess your sins. And it says that he will come in and dwell in you and give you the power to overcome sin and he will give you eternal life. Amen. That's your first decision. If you want to be on the offense, that's the first thing you have to do. And I pray that you would make that choice this morning. I pray that you wouldn't wait another second to make that choice, to leave a life of defense and decide that you're moving forward in Christ. Come on, church. Let's give honor and praise to him for the people that are making that decision right now. Let's do it. Father, we thank you today, Lord. We believe you've changed people's lives this morning. We believe there's a new formation starting on their team, God, and they are going to aggressively advance the gospel from this day forward. Be with us, strengthen us, empower us, work through us this week to advance your gospel. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him honor one more time?